0: and their family. If you want to hear a funny story, go up to them after church and ask them when they had their daughter about eight or nine years ago, what it was like when I came to visit them uh, in the hospital because they had never (laughs) seen a preacher before wearing shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops with a hat backwards. All right, it was a day off, but uh, Reggie, thank you for sharing. I love you. Hey, um, this morning, happy new year to everybody. It's great to see you this year. I hope this is an amazing year for you. I anticipate this be an amazing year for our church, This morning, one of our elders, Patrick Parson, uh, he is now stationed for about six or seven months over in Africa. He is on live stream, tuning in to our worship service today from his uh, military base. So on the count of three, can you just join me in saying, what up, Patrick? All right, one, two, three, what up, Patrick? Uh, And and I laugh a little bit because I'm sure some of you in here are like, I've never said what up in my entire life, all right? Oh, Paul Forey's over there. I've never said what up, all right? But, you know, throw in a what up sometime this week. You'll love it. All right. Uh, Andy Stanley, uh, he's, he's a senior pastor of a church in Atlanta. He tells a story of years ago, and Chick-fil-A's based in Atlanta, so he's done a lot of work and consulting with, with Chick-fil-A. But uh, in the late late 80s, early 90s, Chick-fil-A was kind of, it, it, was a, it was a hot restaurant, and it was growing, and they really didn't have any competition for a long time, because uh, KFC and Church's Chicken, that's not a market that Chick fil A is. It's, it was like its own market. And in the early 90s, Chick fil A faced its first competition ever, and it was Boston Market. I don't know if you know what Boston Market is, but Boston Market was the first. Big competition for Chick fil A. So, so, Boston Market took the route of uh, going out and borrowing a lot of money, and they were building places all over the United States. So, Chick fil A was meeting at their headquarters, and Truett Cathy, if you ever walk into Chick fil A, you see Truett Cathy there. That's not who we named our son after, all right? But that would, I mean, it would be a good Christian thing to do, right? Um, and, and Truett Cathy was there, and the, the whole board, they're, they're all these people high up at Chick-fil-A are sitting around and they're like, okay, Boston market has taken off. What are we going to do to compete? And the conversation for over an hour was, how can we do whatever we need to do to to grow uh, as fast as we can and as big as we can? And they were talking about borrowing money, but Chick-fil-A, they, they don't want to go into a lot of debt, and, but that was the whole conversation. How can we get bigger, and how can we do this in a way where we do it quick, and we want to get faster, and we want to be bigger, and Truett Cathy finally just pounded the table, all right? He's a quiet, gentle soul, but whenever he would speak up in a meeting, everyone would listen. And Truett Cathy sat there, and he banged the table, and everyone was listening, and he said, hey, I am sick and tired of hearing conversations, about how we need to get bigger and how we need to get faster. He said, this conversation today needs to be about how we get better. And if we get better, then we will grow and we'll do it in a way that we're growing fast. I want to talk just a little bit today about how we get better. And this isn't a self-help sermon about how you look in the mirror and need to say three nice things about yourself every day. That's not what I'm talking about. But how can we be intentional in 2018? to where we are focusing on development and maturity, and not trying harder, but just committing to God in deeper ways. Um, So in Mark chapter 12, and I want you to open your Bibles there, in Mark chapter 12, there's a time, and this is towards the end of the, this is right before the crucifixion, a few days before Jesus dies, and, um, Jesus is founding himself in argument after argument with Sadducees and Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they're trying to catch him and trying to ask him questions that he can't answer, and trying to catch him in lies or hypocrisy or something so they can arrest him. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, you have this person who comes up to Jesus, and then one of the teachers of the law heard him arguing, and he thought Jesus had spoken well, all this other stuff Jesus was saying, and this person said he asked them, which law is greatest of all? If someone were to ask you today, and for Life Groups meeting, you may be asking this question in your Life Groups today. If someone were to ask you today, like, what is, what is, of all the verses in the Bible, what is the verse that you would say, this is the primary verse that I view, like, all the rest of the Bible through? What is the verse, the passage, the chapter? Because it's somewhat like that. I mean, this person's coming to Jesus and saying, what is the greatest law of all? And people would do this to rabbis sometimes. They would walk up to rabbis and they would ask them this question. Like, what is the greatest law? What is the greatest part of the Bible? Because that becomes the primary lens that you were, you were seeing all of the rest of the Bible through, which meant for a rabbi, this is what all of your teaching is coming from. And there's a lot that Jesus could have chosen from, right? Jesus could have responded with the Ten Commandments. Jesus could have responded with a psalm. He could have responded with something about... The Red Sea. He could have responded with Abraham and the blessing of God and covenant of God. But of all the places Jesus could choose from, it doesn't seem like he took very long for his for to 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 spout out to give this answer. And Jesus said to him, The greatest law is this. Listen. And if you take notes, if you're writing in your Bibles, if you highlight things on your phone, whatever your device is, however you're engaged in the word this morning, underline listen or in your Bible, it may be here, it may be pay attention. Listen, Jewish people. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first law. And the second law is this you must love your neighbor as yourself. No other law is greater than these. So the first one Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6. And I want to go there in just a moment. The second one Jesus quotes from Leviticus chapter 19. Jesus quoted and read Leviticus, alright? Like the book in the Bible where graveyard plans go to die. I mean, annual <laughs> Bible reading plans. It's the graveyard where they go to die, right? But Jesus quotes from those two places. And of all the commands Jesus could have chosen to lay in front of this person is the greatest of all. It's about you love God with everything you have and you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus focuses on love. In the the Hebrew, there are a few different words. That talk about love. In the Greek, there are a few different words that talk about love. But in the English language, we basically have one. And it's, and it's wild, right? Because we can use the same word I use to talk about my love for God. It's the same word I use to talk about my love for certain kinds of food. It's the same word I use to talk about my love for my wife and my kids. It's the same word I use to talk about my favorite sports things. Like, I love all these things. And, and if we're not careful, like we use words sometimes and we can mix up words. We can sometimes say the wrong words. We can twist words. And if you look at how love plays out through the Bible, it takes on a lot of different meanings. Um, I remember uh, early on in my ministry here, I was sending out life group questions one week and, uh, and I mixed up uh, a word I was it was in May, and um, a lot of high schools were having their baccalaureates, uh, and, and I was asked to speak at one at the Arlington High School. So I remember sending out life group questions to everyone, uh, and, my, and in that email, I said, hey, a lot of you, are, you're not having uh, life groups because I know you're at baccalaureate services. In fact, I'm speaking at one. I'm, speaking at the Arlington High School uh, baccalaureate service at Bellevue Baptist. So will you pray for me as I speak at a baccalaureate event? But as I was typing that out, I had a little squiggly line under baccalaureate because apparently it's not a word I spell all the time, all right? So I just hit right click on it. I thought I was close enough that I just chose the first word that was there and I sent it out to life group questions. You remember this? Because Jill Knight was the first one who responded to me when I sent this out. And, I, and what I actually sent to life group leaders that night was, please pray for me as I speak at a bachelorette event this afternoon, all right? Uh, was, I mean, they were close, okay? Uh, and, and I was just, I, you know, I think the response was, well, maybe there are bachelorette events that do that now. Maybe they have like some Devo or, or that's how bad rumors get started or something, all right? But sometimes it's real easy for us to mix up words or use the wrong words or or use a word and forget the power of the meaning of the word. Early on in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, love is used to abuse, not not to do good. You remember when Abraham, there's a time where Abraham, it's one of the first times where the word love is used in the Bible and it's Abraham who's in a foreign country and he wants to save his life. So he says to his wife, Sarah, if you love me, you will tell them you're my sister. One of the first mentions of love in the Bible is it being abused. It's like, hey, if you love me, you'll do this. And he sets his own wife up to be abused in every kind of way so he could save his own life. And and there are times throughout the book of Genesis where love is abused in every kind of way, but God does not give up on the word love. God redeems the word, holds on to the word, calls for people to to live out what it means to love. He, he doesn't just tell people to love. God embodies what it means to love. And then he has set the people free from Egypt. They're uh, on the road to freedom after over 400 years in slavery. And he speaks this word in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to them. This has come to be known as the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. And I want you to listen closely and underline some things in your Bible because this is so powerful. And of all places for Jesus to go to, when someone asks him what is the greatest command, Jesus quotes a part of the Shema. Not all of it, but a part of it. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 9, it's now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments, and I am commanding you so that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, listen, O Israel and observe them diligently so that it may go well with you and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And listen to the details of this, okay? These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. You impress them on your children, like lodge them in your kids. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you go along on the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your heads, like tattoo them on their bodies. And bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house house isn't on your gates do you think this is an important command for god and he lays it out to them listen closely it shows up four different times in those nine verses to listen or to hear in fact that is what shema means shema means to listen to hear to pay attention something none of us are really good at right I don't get this compliment much, but every once in a while, somebody gives me a compliment of, Josh, you're a good listener. I don't get it much, but when people say that, it's like the greatest compliment. Can you think in your life of who is the person in your life who is the best listener out of everybody? And I want you to take a moment today to shoot them a message and to thank them for doing something that's a, this gift, this gift, this something that, that we just take for granted, that we're not very good at anymore. Yeah, I want you to think about even in worship services, Bible classes, life groups, maybe chapel services at Christian universities or schools. Here's how it often works. Whenever you say, let us pray, in the room you can hear a pin drop. Sometimes we even do that to like bring everybody to a hush, you know, like too many conversations, hey, let's pray, and people are quiet. But in those same places, whenever the Word of God is read, you can often hear shuffling around and conversations going on. It's like when it's our turn to talk to God, everyone be quiet because we want God to hear what we say but when it's God's turn to talk to us we don't know how to pay attention. Um, And we, I've told you before a lot of times Casey, she says, Josh Ross I want you to listen to me with your eyes right now. Because there are times where Casey's trying to say something to me and I may be a little distracted watching Saved by the Bell reruns or something like that, alright? And Casey's saying something. And sometimes Casey will say, did you hear what I just said? What did I just say? And I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which basically means I know how to reframe any situation. I can be a smooth talker. So there are times where I have no clue what she said. So I just say something like, baby, you know what? I am so mesmerized right now about how beautiful you are. It just distracted me from hearing it. You think she's buying that? You know? (laughs) No. How do we pay attention to God? There are two things... I fear when it comes to hearing God or taking time to try to listen to God. Number one, the thing I fear is what if nothing happens? What if I don't get anything? What if I take time to listen to what it is the Lord has to say and I don't feel like God has spoken a word or given a word or prompted or convicted or placed something on my heart? My other fear is what if God does say something? Because most of the time when God speaks... He's either revealing something in me that needs to change because it's not under the Lordship of Jesus, or God is calling me to a place that I've never been, or this is going to be really uncomfortable to go. Uh, so for the Jews, and I want you to catch how meaningful and powerful this is, for the Jews, the primary Hebrew verb that that drove the Jewish faith was not the verb obey. It was not a verb that had anything to do with being righteous or being holy, as important as those things are. The primary Hebrew verb that drove the Hebrew faith in the Jewish people was Shema. Listen. Hear. Don't forget. Pay attention. And if you remember when I was reading the word, if you were listening, it's, hey, this isn't just something you do every once in a while multiple times every day, this is what you recite. In the Hebrew, it's six words. But it begins with listen, hear, pay attention. And this became the primary verb that Jews still practice today, reciting the Shema, reminding the kids about the Shema. Twice a day, it is repeated. It is repeated to the kids that you catch. It's not just repeated in the home or a Bible study or synagogue or church services. It's as you go. Casey and I are leading a trip to Israel later on this fall. We've never been to Israel, but those we know who've been, said, they have told me they have seen families, and they've even seen, seen Jewish schools practicing this, where they, that there are kids who are walking down sidewalks, and they will have adults who are reciting the Shema with them, teaching them that we are listening for God, not just when we're in school or in church services, we're listening for God as we go about our day, as we go about our life. It's so that the words that are coming from our mouths can somehow sink deep into our minds and then from our minds, it can sink deep into our hearts. We're reciting things. Some of you may think, well, if I recite it multiple times, I will forget the power of the meaning. But the other side of that is if you don't recite the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God multiple times every single day, then you forget to live by them. These are recited constantly. They're given to the kids and this Shema is about sustaining this relationship with God Um, so God is calling people to love God with everything you have and God embodies what this means because God does not call people to do something God is not willing to do. He does not call you to do something Jesus did not come to, to show and to be an example for. God is not just interested in people falling in love with him. God wants to sustain the love between God and humanity. This is one of the problems in how we even talk about marriage and family these days is the stories we gravitate to are stories of how people have fallen in love, not how relationships are sustained for a long period of time. Stories about people falling in love, this is what makes good movies. It's what makes a lot of money in box offices and sells a bunch of books. But how many movies have you seen that highlight like year 33 of marriage, you know? It's how you sustain love. So what God is giving them as these people are learning to be free is, hey, here is what is so important for you. And I want you to hear this and listen to this and recite this and practice this so that this love can be sustained so you can learn what it means to feast on me. Um, I have in my pocket some Skittles. It's soft candy. I'm pretty sure that there's no one in this room who could eat this bag of Skittles quicker than I could, all right? Uh, some of you keep candy on desks, but you know what soft candy is. You don't have to spend much time on it. You can pop it in your mouth. You can put it down. I could probably eat this bag. I'm hungry right now. I could eat this bag of Skittles in probably one minute, all right? And, and I'm sure you know what soft candy and soft food is. It snacks and it goes down quick. Now, there's also such thing as hard candy. How many of you like fireballs? This is a show of hands because I love fireballs, all right? Um, I don't think any of you ever put a fireball in your mouth and swallow it immediately. You should not do that if you do, okay? And though you could, put a pe- like you could put a peppermint in your mouth, and some of you immediately start crunching on peppermints, fireballs don't work that way. Put a fireball in your mouth, it has to sit there for a little while before you can even start crunching. And I want you to think about the difference between soft candy and hard candy. I want you to think about the difference between snacks and how we feast. There was a time in my life, and maybe in my preaching, so forgive me, I know there have been things I've stood up here and said that I I probably regret or look back on, and I wish I would have said it differently. I think there was a time in my life where I thought, if I cannot come before the Lord and feast, then I'm not going to come before the Lord and I've come to leave, believe in the power, power of the spiritual snack that sometimes the 10-second prayer can transform my, the next four hours of my life. I've come to believe in the power of the short prayers. In any moment I have to be with God, I've come to believe in the power of sometimes I don't need four chapters to feast on. Sometimes I need one verse that I can stand on in my life. And I've come to believe that, but I also know that I cannot sustain myself. I I cannot grow and be developed and mature into Christ if I do not take some time to feast on the Lord. And feasting takes time and it takes sacrifice. People cannot live, disciples cannot live on snacks alone. You can live on snacks for a little while. But if you don't engage in some feasting, you're not being properly nurtured and nourished. So I stood in front of a few hundred youth ministers uh, a few days ago and I talked to them about this, about soft candy and hard candy and snacks and feasting. And afterwards I had multiple ministers who came up to me in tears saying all of my life, all I've known is the spiritual snack. I had people saying, hey, just help me. How do I learn to feast on the Lord? I had people saying that I need to learn how to feast because my church deserves better, right? Right? Like people deserve better. And here's God who is teaching people how to love multiple times a day. Hey, this is what you do so that you are sustaining this love and growing in this love. And God is giving these these commands to people who are entering into a new land. So they're in the process of liberation and deliverance and freedom. And this is so vital for people who are choosing to live a new kind of life or launching into any form of freedom is that you have this kind of love, the Shema, the love of God lodged inside of who you are. Because if we don't lodge it, we forget it. Uh, so i'm launching a new series today it's going to be a six-week series called wired i love the image that justin ardry put together because there's so many things that make that image stick and that make um that kind of light happen when it comes to wired the images that come to mind even definitions are are like strength and support and i want to talk about how the next few weeks how we're wired for connection and this begins with us realizing we are wired for a connection with god Uh, But Jesus goes beyond that in Mark chapter 12. He doesn't just quote Deuteronomy 6. He also quotes Leviticus 19, 18. And that's where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. But that's not the only part of Leviticus 19 and 18. And some of you aren't going to like this. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, what comes right before that in the same verse is, do not seek revenge on those who have hurt you. Do not bear a grudge against others but love your neighbor as yourself. It's like people have done something to you, but you choose to love anyway. Love does not stand still. Love moves. Love has legs. And Jesus says the greatest command of all, it's like how Jesus interprets every other command in the Bible is through the lens of you love God with everything you have. And you also learn to love your neighbor as yourself. We want to live into this as a church At this church, for uh, almost seven years, the vision of this church is to be about the restoration of God, that we want to be about how God is restoring hearts, relationships, and communities throughout the world. The restoring hearts, the, the phrase restore, the word restore means a return to life. I love that imagery. And that we want to be about how God is restoring hearts. So we care about discipleship and spiritual development. And to restore relationships is that we care about marriages and families. We care about all people, that they're engaged in healthy relationships. This means that we also care about uh, how we are cultivating relationships with people throughout our city, about racial reconciliation. We also want to be about how God is restoring community. So we, we have, God has opened many doors and has formed bridges with us into the community so that we have a presence there and we can speak Jesus there and learn how to love people no matter where they are. That's our vision. Our mission is that we want to help people see Jesus. And every church and hopefully organizations and whatever business you're a part of, there's probably a vision and a mission that goes with that. But we also have strategies and how do you execute it. And the way a lot of people talk about this in the leadership world is that you need to marry your mission and your vision. You marry it, but you date your strategy and your execution. Because strategy and execution often changes with time. You marry your vision and your mission. Our vision is we want to be about the restoration of God. Our mission is we want to help people see Jesus. But the strategy and execution sometimes changes. What we laid in front of you a couple of years ago in last January were five commitments. And these are five commitments we want to lay in front of you again this year because we think to live into these five commitments gives us the best shot of being a church and being leaders who are diving deeper into the things of God and helping to form well-rounded, holistic disciples of Jesus that are being shaped and formed from the head to the toe. And they're five words. Discover, connect, serve, give, go. Discover, connect, serve, give, go. Five commitments to discover is that we are joining the adventure of what it means to follow Jesus. So so here's a challenge for us this year. How can we as a church excel at the invitation? When's the last time you've invited people into the things of God? So, so be praying to ask God, who is the one person in your life or multiple people in your life that God is using you or he has already formed a the relationship there? He is just waiting for the invitation to be extended. Who is it that you need to invite into the things of God? Who is it you need to invite to church? What do you have to lose by extending an invitation? So we're discovering the things of God together. The next two are to connect and to serve. So... Connection is about spiritual development that we're asking everyone to join in at least one small group environment where intentional formation is taking place. So Bible classes on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, life groups, discipleship groups. We're asking every member to join in one of these because we need people who are with other people who are being shaped and formed into God. Service is to connect through one of our 11 ministry teams. So if you're looking for ways to connect through connection or through service. You can go to our Connection Center, jump on our website, check it out. The fourth is give. And this is primarily about giving money and how we give. I think a 10% is something really good to shoot for, though God wants so much more than just that. For Casey and myself, we give just over 10% to the local church and we do this because we believe in who this church is. You chose us and we chose you. We believe in the mission of this church. We believe in the vision. We love raising our children here because they have so many people who are speaking life into them. And we believe that this church is something worth investing in. We give an additional 11 to 12 percent that we also give to. About half of that goes to some other local efforts in Memphis, and about half of that goes to global efforts that we're, we've chosen to invest in. Um, we have elders who are really ambitious because the last few years we've had to make some cuts. And this year, we've been able to put money back into some light items that we've had to cut over the last few years. We had a really good year of giving in 2017, which we're so thankful to this church for, for your generosity and your, for your consistency. Our elders have placed in front of us a budget that has an increase for this year, which we're excited about. It can put money back into ministries, into missionaries. We also have some facility needs, which there was a time in my life Even as a minister where I looked at the building as brick and mortar, but this church has helped me see that differently. A conservative number is that our building is open 65 hours a week. Most weeks and even most nights, there are all kind of groups using this facility. So that means there is wear and tear. But this place is becoming a safe haven for groups and, and people who need this for the sake of healing and all, so many events going on on the life of this campus. So there's some of those needs. And, and here's the thing too, all right? The membership of Sycamore View, we're around a 900-member church, all right? Not attendees, but members, But one thing we have realized over the last year is that the people throughout Memphis who call Sycamore View their home or that look look to us as their biblical or spiritual authority, that number is a few hundred larger than 900 because I know Mark Taylor and other people receive calls and text messages from our schools that we've adopted and nonprofits and other groups who look to us as a spiritual authority of people who can pray over them. So the number of people who see us as their, their church is closer to like 1,300. And what we've done as a church is is that we have realigned some ministry positions that focus on how God has opened doors throughout our community. So we see the need this year for an additional hire. And we're just asking you to pray about that. And we'll give some details later on when we have better details. But we see the need this year for an additional hire at some point. Because we don't want to lose momentum that we have and all the doors and bridges God has opened for us, but we also see a need to make sure we are focusing on the people in this church and how we're cultivating and growing in God. So we're grateful for elders who are ambitious and believe that there are great things ahead of us. The fifth commitment is to go, that we have been called by God to go. And we realize, and God presses this on me every single week before I stand up to preach, is that God is not just asking people to come into this church. He's not just asking people to come into this room. He's wanting to equip people in this room to go out and to live the message of Jesus everywhere we go. So we send out missionaries every Sunday, to companies and businesses and schools all over the city of Memphis and beyond. And we want to go into the world to make disciples of all people. As we go into 2018, I want us to believe as a church that there are no limits to what God can do. And because of this, we are called to dream big and to pray big. I want us to believe today that we do not shame people into better behavior. We do not shame people into relationships with God. We love people into relationships with God, and we love people into better behavior. And I also want us to believe as a church today that we will not pass on to anyone else something we do not own in our own lives. So as parents, you want your kids to have a love for God, but you're not owning it. It's going to be hard for your kids to have a love for God. Leaders of a church, you can't pass on to anyone else. For all of you, you can't pass on to any of your neighbors or people you work with something you do not own yourself. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I look forward to this being a great year. Can I ask the elders and prayer leaders, if you will, go to the places where you receive people for prayer. And you can go to any of these people as we sing a song or two for prayer, reflection, for a blessing of God. Maybe you're just need, you just need a word of God and just go to one of these people and ask them if they have a word from the Lord for you. We also have tables set up for you to go if there's anything you want to write out, a prayer request you want to give us. Can we stand together as a church? I and mean, as we sing this song, I want to lead us in a prayer before we do. Can we just stand together? And I want to ask for eyes closed in the room. And if you will, just open your hands where you are before the Lord. God, with open hands and open hearts, We ask for the Spirit of God to invade our lives, to transform us into the image of Jesus, to call us out of ourselves and into you. God, we claim this as a year of your favor, and in and through this church, will you announce the good news of the kingdom to people all around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.